I'm just going to read three short quotes from from two Sufis. First from Ibn Atallah. When God alienates you from this creation, know that the door of divine intimacy has been opened for you. God alienates you from this creation. Know that the door of divine intimacy has been opened for you. And the second one by the same, even Atalat. What the heart experiences as worries and sadness is due to being barred from inner vision. Finally, from Mulay al-Arabi al-Darqawi, the Sufi is the one who is not saddened when he lacks something, great or small. So that's establishing a context for our sopeh tonight. Uh, in a little while, I'll hand out this sheet that has a number of quotations from uh, from mostly North African Sufis. Um, it's beautiful to see the breadth, the spectrum of Sufi, Sufi wisdom <coughs> from the far west to the far east. And while it's all the same in essence, it's all the same truth, it's all perfectly coherent. Um, the flavor of North Africa is a bit more austere. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, when we're with the, the Persian Sufis and their poetry and their the beloved is there. The beloved's also in North Africa, but uh, there's a, an intoxication, a beauty, a, um, a, a richness, you know, in, in Rumi and the, uh, the Sufis of Anatolia and Persia and so forth. But there's this beautiful um, transcendence that we sometimes taste in the North African uh, men and women of wisdom. And I found it a relief to be reminded of this this week. 
and I'll just, by way of comment, I'm coming out of being really sick for three days. I didn't think I would even be able to be here tonight, but this morning, almost miraculously, I just got cleared. But I was up all night, I hardly slept last night, and the two or three days before, I was just really miserable with some kind of allergy. So alhamdulillah, I'm doing just fine at the moment, though you can hear my voice is not what it normally is. <coughs> so, let's just uh, take account of, of the world we're living in. And, you know, we've been through an election. We're not, of course, not going to get into politics, but we are going to just discuss the atmosphere in which we, we have been living. And it's an atmosphere that has been um, drenched with opinion. Opinions being thrown back and forth all over the place. And uh, very little effort of people to understand each other. Um, and a lot of, I would say, a lot of distortion goes with that opinion. Uh, a lot of accusation. And so this is a very unreal world. This is a false reality that is... Um, that we're swimming in, that's in all, it's in our media, and it inevitably affects all, all of us to some extent. And the truth is we don't really know uh, adequately what the truth is. There are appearances, there are opinions, but we must admit there's a lot we don't know. So that's maybe enough by way of context. Let's acknowledge that. Um, I think one of the things that healed me this morning was listening to a sopet uh, from this September in Turkey when uh, we were with our brother Metinabi on an island near Istanbul. And um, listened to a little bit of that this morning and maybe just incidentally coincided with my feeling a lot better. And one of the things Ametin was talking about was the way the divine manifests um, in this existence. And this is a very subtle point. This is a very subtle teaching that he was conveying. He started by saying, you know, you read, you hear Rumi saying very often in the Mesnevi and in the Ghazals, silence, be quiet, stop speaking. Every now and then, every so many pages he'll say that. But then you have to admit, he sure is writing a lot of words, you know, roughly 50,000 couplets. What is this silence? Well, Mitin, when he was a young man, he asked his merchant, he said, what is this? Well, he's always saying, you know, silence. But all these words are pouring out. And his merchant said, ah, <coughs> Jalal ad-Din was silent. It was Mevlana who was speaking. Okay. So Jalal ad-Din Rumi became Mevlana, Jalal ad-Din Rumi, at a certain point. Most likely after his transformation in the presence of Shamsi Tabriz. So, 
there is a Jalaluddin in you and there's a Mevlana in you, potentially. Um, there's, not to build, build you up, but there's a Mevlana Mehdi and there's a Mevlana Ana. <laughs> that sounds good, doesn't it? Mevlana Ana. <laughs> and then there's Ana. And then there's Mehdi. And there's Kabir, so forth. Well, um, remember we're talking about the way the divine manifests in the world. A subtle point. Mitin also mentioned, he said, he had just been to the Vatican with his wife. And he rarely goes outside of Turkey, but he went to the Vatican and he said, it's a temple. He said, it's not a temple of religion, it's a temple of art. And he saw the Pieta for the, for the first time. Mm. And, you know, the Pieta is an amazing piece of art. But if you know anything about Michelangelo and how his work and his struggles, what he went through, the Pieta was a commission. Michelangelo was 26 years old. And some guy said, I just, you know, I want a stone for my wife's grave. I can't pay you this much. And Michelangelo said, okay, he went to work, and bam, the Pieta emerged. He was just doing a job, he was just fulfilling a commission. Again, something, something's happening here. You could say it's incredible craft, incredible talent, but no, it's more than that. Because even under these limited conditions of you know, a young artist being paid simply to do a job, to make a, a, a monument for a dead woman. And the Pieta emerges, this doesn't make any sense. This too, divine manifestation. Michelangelo, one Michelangelo has disappeared and a different Michelangelo has appeared at the Pieta. And Metin told another story. He was a young man. He, was, he began on this path when he was maybe 16 years old. He, at age 16, he went looking for a Murshid in Istanbul. At this time, there were some extraordinary people, still from the old, really Ottoman times. There were some great... I mean, you could almost go to a street corner and find... It wasn't that simple, but... You could find people in your neighborhood who are real people of wisdom. And Metin started early. And he had a friend, that another young man his age, and they used to do things together, they used to go to this one shake together. And one day Metin had a book and his friend said, um, what are you reading? And Metin said, oh, this is, uh, this is actually a very important book. Uh, you know, he probably would really enjoy it and learn a lot from it. So he passed the book to him, and this young man started looking at the book with great interest. You're both like 16 years old. And then Metin says, you know, well, I could lend you this book, but really this book is so important that really I would recommend you want to have one yourself because you're going to want to keep this with you. <coughs> and... Um, you know, you should, buy, you should buy one. And he said in that moment, he saw such a look 
in the other boy's eyes. Uh, he's, and the word he used was weakness, but I think he meant a poignancy that he didn't understand in the other boy's eyes. And he gave him the book back. And that night when Metin went home, all through the night, he dreamed those eyes. That's all he could see through the night were the two, the sadness, the weakness, the fragility, let's say, in the eyes of that young man. <clears throat> and then some days passed, and he went looking for his friend. And somebody said, well, he's, he's left. It was a summertime, so he's left. He's gone, gone away for a while. And as Matin began to you know, ask some questions, he, he realized that this young boy, his friend, whenever Metin was, they would go somewhere, Metin would you know, take a bus, and the boy would say, no, it's okay, I'm going to walk. I like to walk. Eventually he found out that this, this boy was so poor that he couldn't afford a bus fare. He was living in absolute poverty, barely had food to eat, let alone money to buy a book. And Metin was really suffering suffering with this. He remembered those eyes. And months passed, eventually his friend came back to Istanbul and Matin ran to him and said, you know, I, I'm so sorry, I really want you know, to apologize. I should have just given you the book. And the brother boy said, oh no, it's nothing, it's nothing, don't worry about it, you know, it's, it's really nothing at all. And Matin said, that's when I realized that the look that was coming from his eyes, that was God. That was the look of Allah looking at me at that moment. So how does the divine manifest in this world? Is this relevant to our situation? I asked Matin about this. I said, you're telling stories of such exalted you know, attainments. But what about for ordinary people, you know, like us? How do we bring this down to our level? We are not Michelangelo's, for instance. And he said, it's the same. It's the same for us. Whatever we do, you could be making a cup of tea. How do you make that cup of tea? Do you have the quality of being do you have the presence? To, can you take your ego out of it enough that the divine can manifest in that cup of tea or whatever task it is you're doing? So this is something very subtle. And, but it also has to do with something very big, which is Allah is Al-Hakim, the wisest of the wise. And Allah is al-Adl, the just, the supremely just. Now, it's quite a leap. It's quite a it's quite a lot to look at this world and say that Allah is just, based on what we see. And yet, this is the proposition. These are two of the ninety-nine names that Allah's justice is functioning in existence, whether we see it or not. 
and all this wisdom is functioning in this existence, whether we understand it or not. Um, this is something that in the world we're living in, with its politics, with its power struggles, with its injustices, with its stupidities. One thing perhaps we can hope for, pray for, and trust is that the divine can appear through anyone in a moment. The divine could conceivably function and surprise us. That doesn't mean we're any less responsible. It doesn't mean we can be complacent. That doesn't mean we can go to sleep on this. But just to offer some hope, um, hope in, in the divine, hope in the divine which is al-adl, the just, hope in the divine which is al-hakim, the healing wisdom that's operating in all of existence, um, that this may bring some contentment or at least some uh, acceptance to our hearts so that we don't suffer in the wrong way and unnecessarily with this dunya and what's happening here. And I'll repeat and I'll repeat and I'll repeat. This is not an excuse for um, complacency. But it is uh, a way that we can be and not, to, and not suffer the unnecessary suffering, the imaginary suffering that comes from hopelessness, <coughs> blame, anxiety, and such things. If you remember these first <coughs> few statements, when God alienates you from this creation, know that the door of divine intimacy has been opened for you. What does that mean? The disappointments of this world, the disappointments in this dunya are reminded of where we really do need to turn where our peace, where our trust uh, deserves to be placed. Uh, if the world were all always perfect and always satisfying our every women desire, would we remember God? And, with, and what the heart experiences as worries and sadness is due to being barred from inner vision. Another proposition to digest our worries and sadness most often are doing are due to our lack of inner vision, lack of seeing things as they really are, and the true value and meaning of things. So I'm gonna pass these out and um, there's a few more here too. First of all, 
Does anybody want to say anything? <laughs> Any responses? Any challenges? <laughs> This whole existence is a theater of manifestation of divine names. Um, and they're not all nice and sweet and, you know, pastel airbrushed colors. Sometimes it is a clash. And sometimes certain qualities are only brought out when challenged by other qualities. Um, yes, yeah, so especially Jalal and Jamal, the power and the beauty. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we have a WhatsApp group. I never joined it. I should have. Should. Most of the people I put it together. I still can. Still people who went to Turkey. We had a nice WhatsApp group, and I wish I'd been keeping up with it. in the front room see with your pages are you able to read yeah. okay. um. can you read you have enough light over there himself independent 
is at a loss. Allah guides those who are guided by Him. Those who are content with themselves have no entitlement to increase. Whenever increase is absent, decrease appears. Sidi Ali al-Jaman. So this word fukara, this word that is not used so much in our tradition, but we know it, it's the plural of fakir. Actually, yes, we use fakir all the time. But the fukara is the common word for dervishes, the Sufis in North Africa. It means the poor ones, the ones who are poor in God, empty of self. Now, as part of that, I'm going to ask you to read the very last one, Anna. Yeah. True joy in this life is through companionship with those devoted to the path, for they are the true masters and real rulers. Be willing to witness faults within yourself because only by such insights will you be redeemed and realize that the path is based on insight and perfecting of character. These companions are those whom I love and I am honored by being near to them. They are such that wherever they go, they feel like fresh air and clean rain. Abu Madian Shwai. I love the last mm. image. Because um, Abu Madian, if I'm correct in this, was one of the precursors of Ibn Arabi. Those two are related, that's why I asked to join them together. Um, be willing to witness faults within yourself, because only by such insights will you be redeemed, and realize that the path is based on insight and, perf and perfecting of character. On the one hand, the Fukara, those on the path are full of faults. On the other hand, there are those who are the fresh air and the clean rain. <clears throat> Joseph, would you read No Quest, the fifth one down? No quest which you seek by your Lord is ever withheld from you, nor will any quest be easy if you rely upon yourself. Ibn Atta'ala. A beautiful reminder to uh, take care to what our real motivations are, why we choose to do what we do and how we do it.
No quest which you seek by or through your Lord is ever withheld from you. I should have had a parenthesis after the you. Nor will any quest be easy if you rely only upon yourself. Lizzie, would you read the next one? Sufism is a science by means of which you learn how to behave in order to be in the presence of the ever-present Lord through purifying your inner being and sweetening it with good actions. The path of Sufism begins as a science. Its middle is actions and its end is divine gift. This deserves some comment because when the word Lord appears from people like this, first of all the word is Rab, and Rab means Lord, Sustainer, it's virtually, it's both a synonym for Allah, who is the Rabbil Alamin, but there's also a meaning, uh, an esoteric meaning, which is that each of you has a Rab. And that doesn't mean there are many Rabs, but uh, practically speaking, your Rab is different than my Rab. Your point of access is different. The divine name th through which you connect to God uh, is particular to you. And your knowing yourself, which is what the teaching and the practice should bring you to, <coughs> um, well, your knowing yourself is knowing your rub. You've heard that before. He who knows himself knows his rub. The famous Hadith Qudsi. So, just keep it in mind that this process of knowing oneself is explained very beautifully here. You learn how to behave in order to be in the presence of the ever-present Rab, to purifying your inner being and sweetening it with good actions. First, through purifying your inner being, which is a quality of attention, it is sustained attention, it is the ability to be, just as we come and we spend 20 minutes or half an hour sitting with the breath, practicing being. If we don't develop that side of ourselves, we don't have access to this rub. This is something very practical. This is a, a, a skill. It is a capacity. Um, it doesn't come through wishful thinking, except by the grace of God. But it does come reliably through the inner development of, of being, which is the development of consciousness not as a mental state. Consciousness is not just something mental. Consciousness is your whole being. There's a beautiful relationship between several words in Arabic. Wujud uh, <coughs> means being. Sometimes it means this existence, but the true meaning of wujud, 
true being is the divine. Allah is is that which only truly exists. Everything else exists to the extent that it, this exists. It exists uh, as a manifestation of that oneness. So wujud, this is the meaning of wujud. We talk about the development of being. That, that's the development of the inner being of the human being through attention, through consciousness. If we don't develop that, we're unconscious. We're just a reaction to events. We're just, our attention goes to whatever is strongest, whatever it attracts it. And we're helpless. So we have wujud being. We have wajida, which means to find. Wujud wajida. W-J-D is the triliteral root. So, wajida, being is what is being found in all of existence. Wajida. And then we have two other words, two nouns that come also related to this. And I've, one I've talked about is wajd, which is ecstasy. Ecstasy is the finding of being. But also, wijdan, which is the word for consciousness. So you see, ecstasy, consciousness, being, all of this is what there is to be found in our finding. And Allah is one of Allah's names, is Al-Wajid. Um, so, this is pretty much a total picture of the uh, whole of human existence and consciousness. But consciousness, you know, always have to realize consciousness is more than just um, mental awareness. Consciousness is the whole field of creation, meaning it precedes even physical existence. That was determined, that was explicitly expressed by a Nobel Prize winning physicist about 80 years ago. He said, we don't know what consciousness is, but we do know it precedes physical existence. It has to. <coughs> um, so, this is, this is the science of Sufism. It begins as science. It begins as a clear rationale for what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it. Um, and then it's, so it's purifying your inner being, so you're not just full of distractions, complaints, resentments, false hopes, uh, opinions, useless opinions. Purify your inner being and sweeten it with good actions. In other words, You've got to. You've got to express it. You've got to do. You've got to do it. You've got to do the work. You've got to. There is something to be done. It's not just sitting back and contemplating. So it begins as science or knowledge. Its middle state is actions, and its end is divine gifts. Remember the Pieta. Remember the Mesnavi. Even some politician, crazy politician in this stupid mixed up world, has the possibility of expressing something true. Let's not give up hope.
probably the next one. Do not accept any love other than passion for Allah, for everything other than him, her, is a mere mirage. Look at those who are drinking of that nourishment. They are not veiled from effulgent truth. So if there is a desire for you to know more, keep company with them, for that will give you the direction. Keep company with those who are drinking of that nourishment of God. This work is hard enough to do when all the conditions are optimized. I won't say hard, let's just say that it's um, to have the support of a teaching, a tradition, companions with similar values makes it possible. Otherwise, it is much, much, much more difficult. Adelita, would you read the poem in the top right? Sure. And this is a tricky one, so read it with all your heart. Would that you were sweet, even while this life is bitter. Would that you were pleased, while people are angry. Would that what is between you and me were filled and flourishing and that what is between me and the world were a ruin. If your love proves true, then all is easy, and all which is on earth is earth. Make sense? No. <laughs> okay, that's why I asked. Read it a different way. Yeah, okay, you read it to me. Would that you were sweet even while this life is better. Remember, the you is capitalized. Would that you were pleased while people are angry. Would that what is between you and me were filled and flourishing, and that what is between me and the world were a ruin. If your love proves true, and all is easy, and all which is on earth is just earth. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> and we read the same words. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It, it does when you read it, not so much when I read it. Well, this is how you learn. And um, it's the more we become aware of the greater context the more this poetry makes sense. So this big you that the various poets, Sufi poets, refer to, it's a, a very big you. And uh, Rumi has poems like this too, because that relationship was so primary, was so important. It was as if there was nothing more important for the heart than to be in relationship with that. And when you come into relationship with that, it's not an abstraction, it's not like um, theology, it's a living experience. 
It takes us out of the conflicts, contradictions, and pain of this world. And there have been times recently when it's felt like a nightmare, this world. It takes you out of that. It takes you to the truth, to Huck. Camille, would you read, I heard the Master Abhavali sing? I heard the Master Abhavali say, the tree that grows by itself without a gardener puts forth leaves, but it does not bear fruit. Similar is the disciple who has no master from whom he can learn his path, one breath at a time. He remains a worshiper of his own desire and does not attain success. Abu al-Qasim al-Kusheri. Great, great Sufi, great commentator on Ibn Arabi. One breath at a time. He remains a worshipper of his own desire and does not attain success. Well, I hope you enjoyed this little anthology, this little survey of our friends in North Africa. I'm not sure they're all from North Africa, actually, mm. but they may be from, <coughs> e from Egypt north to North Africa. It's still North Africa. <coughs> what do you think? Anything good here? Anything useful? What do you say, Ralph? What do you say, Mustafa? There are such treasures in the tradition, you know, of sincere seekers and attained ones. That we can use these to, just to sort of recalibrate our spiritual compass. in the world of op opinion and human conjecture um, it's very easy to get lost and these words are only good if they point us to something within ourselves 
coming back again to the idea of your rub, your rub, your educator, because it also means educator. That's his primary meaning, actually, of rub. The uh, Rabbi Alamin is the educator of the universes. The Rabb of your being is the educator of your being. One who, out of mercy, lifts you stage by stage. From darkness to light. From ignorance to knowledge. From slavery to freedom. the most any teaching can do for us is to lead us to that. And if we have some friendship and companionship along the way, all the better. It's because no, because the individual human self is not the ultimate unit of reality. You are in me. We are in each other. We reflect each other, even while we are individual, and have responsibility for ourselves as, as individuals. But we won't know ourselves completely, except in relationship. Otherwise, we will make our own desires our gods. And that's, that's an, it's not a very happy ending. <laughs> hey, Vala. La, la, la.